Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with the body, even if it is digitally. It's good to be together, and I just pray that you've been praying, and I pray that you've been seeking God already before uh, listening to this, and I pray that you just keep praying during this sermon, and I pray that you continue to pray today. Today is a national day of prayer that our president has asked us to be a part of, and I believe as the church, uh, it's not a political thing that we must be serious about this time. We must be serious about this prayer today, and in this coming time, we don't know what we're looking at. It could be nothing, and it could be serious. Uh, it could be quick. It could be long. We don't know, but it is, in fact, a time where people are dying, and at the very least, we need to be praying for those that have died and that will die. We pray for their peace, and we pray that God would do a miracle in their lives, and even in this time, somehow, we pray through this time that God would touch their hearts and that just as his word says that all things will work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, even in a time like this. And we also pray for our president today, and we pray for all of those in leadership positions, even our governor here in New York. We pray for Cuomo today, and we just pray, Lord, that they would make wise decisions. We pray, Lord, that they would have the right intel we pray, Lord God, that the right doctors and those, Lord, that understand uh, viruses, Lord, would uh, have a wisdom, Lord, that is from above. And they would have the words, Lord, to give to those in positions of power and those making the decisions for this nation to move us forward, Lord God, as a nation and to bring us out of this thing, Lord God, uh, with as minimal casualties as possible, Lord. And I pray that you would strengthen this nation and strengthen the leadership of this nation through this. In Jesus' name, we also pray against this disease itself. And we just pray, Lord, against the chaos that it may cause in this time. We just pray in the name of Jesus that this disease will not touch this nation it might be rising up and spiking, and there's all the speculations of what it can and will become, but we just pray against that in the name of Jesus, that this thing will quickly die off, that it will have no host. It will not be able to sit in our valley, Lord God. It may try, but it will die in the name of Jesus. We pray against it, and we just pray for the people of this valley. We pray that as people are... Uh, filled with fear because of what they see or the unknown. I pray, Lord, that they would be led to get on their knees and to begin to pray to you, Lord, for mercy and for favor and for grace in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, as you're there listening, I uh, just pray that you would stay at peace. Just stay in peace. Stay in hope. Stay in joy. We cannot let the circumstances affect our peace. We cannot let the circumstances affect our joy. That is the devil. The devil is circumstantial. 
The devil throws a storm at the disciples. The devil works in the time of the wilderness against Jesus. The devil threw a storm against Paul on the sea for two weeks, but he trusted God through it. God gave Paul a strategy for two weeks. They struggled, but God gave Paul a strategy to get through that time, and every single person on that ship, even though a Euroclidon hit that ship, they survived, and they all made it to the shore, and God was with them. And we need to have the same type of hope today as his church. We cannot be affected by what we're seeing around us, by the news that you're seeing this week. It is a reality. I want you, church, to understand this, that it is a real thing that is happening, but we cannot let it affect our hope and affect our joy. We cannot let it affect our spirit. This is real, but we should be expecting of these things. We should not be happy. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Joy is supernatural. Joy is a fruit of of the Spirit. Happiness is circumstantial, but our joy comes from above, even in a prison cell, even in a financial crisis, even in a a physical crisis against your body, even in a crisis of storms, or even things we haven't seen, like meteors and comets coming to earth, and tidal waves, and earthquakes of magnitude that we haven't even seen, and wars that cover the entire world in a greater way than even World War I and II combined. Those things should be expected, and those things should be, um, uh, really should be, Uh, uh, waiting for it to happen for the Christian. We don't wait for those things in happiness, and we don't wait for them with some sort of sadistic, um, some sort of uh, way to to, uh, feel like that's our purpose, that, oh, finally things are bad, so now I feel like I'm a Christian. But we should be aware of those things, and those things will come. Our Bible has told us for 2,000 years that things would come against this earth. Things would come against us as people. The devil is on a rampage against this earth because we are God's creation. And whoever can be reached and bends their knee to Christ has the chance to repent and sit with Christ forever in heaven. And the devil's trying to take down as many of those that God created humankind as possible. But he will fail every time he comes with war or with famine or with pestilence or things that we haven't even seen before. Uh, Whenever he comes in those ways, he will fail. There will be some loss of life and there will be loss of comfort in that time, but the devil will fail at bringing a result that he's looking for in the elimination of humankind or the elimination of the church. The church survives through those times. And in fact, if we, if we buckle down right now, if we trust in God like never before, we have a chance to not just survive this time, but to thrive. We have a chance to not only survive, but to thrive in this time if we will trust God. It's funny because I was thinking of a phrase that we say. We say, it's not the end of the world. 
And yet it's funny because for Christians, we should be looking at our Bible and expecting the end of the world any day. And in fact, it's funny because today, if you are a Christian who talks too much about the book of Revelation, if you're a Christian who talks too much about the end times, about the end of the world, you are looked down upon in many circles. You have to apologize for talking about things of the end times when you're talking with certain circles of Christians. And we should not have to apologize for what the Bible has said will come for 2,000 years. Now, with that disclosure said, I'm not even saying that this is an end times event. It could be. What I'm simply saying is that we should not be surprised by things like this because the Bible promised that these things will happen on this earth because we live in a fallen world. This is not it. There is an eternity that we're looking ahead. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Thank you, God. But in the time that we live in right now, there will be some things like this. There will be confusing and chaotic and dangerous times, but we must come to a place where we have a joy, where we have a hope, we have a peace, no matter what. And we need to stay strong in this time and be examples of Christ and remain a light to the world. It says in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 6, it says, And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Did you hear me, church? It says, when you hear of these things, don't panic. It says, don't panic. This is the thing. We are aware that things like this will come. Yet, we don't wish the calamity, but we wish the Lord's coming. In the things that come against this earth, every time that something else happens, we know we're just a little bit closer to the coming of the Lord. We don't wish any loss of life on anyone. And, in fact, we have already seen many, many things like this. Even worse, sicknesses come across this world before. We'll see this thing unfold of what this truly is. We don't know yet. That's the truth. We really don't know what this is yet. But we have seen sicknesses a hundred years ago. In 1918, we saw the Spanish flu take uh, uh, possibly 50 to 70 million people off this planet. It was not the end. Life has continued for a hundred more years, and Jesus did not return yet. Life continued. And that very may, very may be what we're going to see in our future, another hundred years of life. But as Christians, we cannot be in a place of panic, but we also must be in a place of awareness. It says these things must take place. So we should be aware of them. We're not afraid. We're aware that this is what will happen on this earth. And it may be the last one. They may just intensify and become the book of Revelation unfolding and Jesus returns. If not, if that is not what this time is, it is certainly a time to not panic. It is certainly a time to have peace for those around us. They are going to need you, Christian, to be stable. 
The world around you is going to need you to have peace right now. And so it says these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains and with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Verse 12, sin will be rampant everywhere. The love of many will grow cold. And verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's the book of Matthew. Those were the words of Jesus 2,000 years ago to his people. And those are the same words to us today, 2,000 years later. We're going to see some things, Christian. I want to get you in a place of peace and joy right now, because if you are aware of these things, we're not looking for them sadistically. I'm not pleased with this time. I don't want to be trapped in my home, if that's what it means. But I am aware that these things will come on this earth, and I'm going to remain in peace in him. Amen. It says in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 11, This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. Come on, church. Come on. I, I pray that you don't also have your phone on. I pray right now that you don't also have your TV on. I pray as you're listening to this, just because you're not in the church building, that you're making this moment serious. The Lord is speaking. The Lord has got a message for you this morning, and he's speaking right now. And Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago as well, just as Jesus' words, these are long gone, these words, and yet they are so relevant for us today. If he said them then, then how much more relevant today for him to tell us, wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. It's nearer now than when we first believed. If Paul said it was nearer 2,000 years ago, then how close are we now? Come on, church, we should not be surprised, and we should not be worried, and we should not be like the world running in fear. We must be stable, and we must trust God, because this is nothing. We haven't seen anything yet. There will be things we can't even imagine upon this earth, and that is not to bring fear, that's to bring calm. I'm trying to bring peace. Even when you see those things, we're going to trust God to the end. He says in verse 12 of Romans chapter 13, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Now's the moment. Now's the moment, church. And maybe you're listening out there. Maybe a friend or family member told you, hey, listen to this because... Uh, he's talking about having peace, even though the world is running in fear, and you stumbled upon this today. 
This is the, the thing about this moment. People are being brought to, their near, brought to their knees by something they can't even see. Isn't that ironic that something that people can't even see is bringing them to their knees? But the God of heaven, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, who has been prophesied, who has been proven, who was written over and over and over and over again in a book that we can barely read in a year. If we're reading at fast pace, the Bible has been telling us of this Jesus, someone we've never seen, and yet we refuse to bow our knee to him. We refuse to bow our knee to someone we can't see. We say, well, we can't see him, so I'm not going to bow my knee to him. And yet, people right now are buckling at their knees. They're dropping to their knees to this disease and I pray for you right now if that's you if you have not turned your life over to Christ now do not be afraid look up for your salvation is near Jesus is the answer and although you can't see him he is greater than this virus that you also can't see and even though this virus will take out some I promise you you will see people die. That is incredibly sad. That does not give us joy. That does not give us uh, some sort of a, a false sense of, 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 of stability or false sense of putting, it makes the word of God real. That's heartbreaking. That's incredibly sad for us as the church. We do not want to see that. We see the prophecy of it, but we really don't want to see that part of it. But it must be. But just as that must be, just as people must die, uh, and, and they will continue in ways that we've never seen. This virus is nothing. We can turn to Christ and not fear death. That just as people will die inevitably from a, a myriad of things, natural causes, from, from wars, from things we haven't seen before, we can turn to someone you've never seen. We can turn to Jesus, who is greater than all of those things in the unseen realms. All of those unseen things that, that are either here presently or will come, we can turn to an unseen God and know Him and have peace, knowing that we cannot really die, only the body dies. I just wanted to give you that hope if you stumbled upon this today, and I encourage you to keep listening because God has something for you today. And church, I just want to say to you a few things. I have three words for you to remember today as I continue to preach here. I have three words I want you to uh, put in your mind and just hold on to them. And if you can get anything from this, I want you to get these words. The three words I want you to get today are the words faith, fear, and foolishness. Faith, fear, and foolishness. This is a time where we must have faith. And we cannot have faith in faith. We must have faith in God. What is faith? Faith at its simplest form is trusting that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he said he would do. At the simplest, if we just boil down the whole Bible of what faith is, it's trusting that God is who he says he is and will do what he said he would do. Simultaneously right now, will we have faith in God and in God alone and not faith in our faith? But faith in God, we must not fear. 
Fear not. Jesus told the disciples over and over and over again, why are you doubting? Why are you doubting? Why are you worrying? Why are you worrying? He would tell them over and over again, where is your faith? We cannot fear. We cannot worry. We must have faith. Faith and fear are opposites. They are opposites. Faith is the opposite of fear. God has given us natural fear, though, that must be stated. God has given us a natural fear. We have a fear of falling off a cliff that was given to us by God so that when we get too close to the edge of a cliff, we don't just walk off foolishly. You hear that third word? Foolishness comes when we don't respect the faith in God and the natural fear he's given us. But there is a delicate balance between these three words. There is a delicate balance right now between our faith in God our natural fear that God gave us to protect us in this natural world, and foolishness is somewhere in between those things. I want to try to preach this. I have so many things in my head. Hopefully I can get it out in words. But I'm, I'm trying to get to this place uh, as a church that I'm trying to get to myself and trying to get us to as a church where we just trust God. We do not worry, we do not fear, but we do not act foolishly. And I just wanted to read a few things to you. Firstly, we know that whatever Jesus did, the Bible says that Jesus was instructed by the Spirit. Jesus did only what the Spirit told him to do. Jesus said only what the Spirit told him to say. There was a communion between Jesus and and the Father, and the Spirit. They were one. Church, we must be one with Christ today. Jesus prayed for us. He said, I pray for you in John 17, praying for the disciples and for us today that we would be one, not just as the church. And that's a side note, but church, we need to be one, even though you're in your own homes today, even though you're all across uh, the, the county today, we're not together in the same room. We must be one. But more importantly than us being one together is that we are one together with Christ. We must be one with Christ as Jesus was. Because when we walk in that place of oneness with Christ, Jesus was the epitome of faith. Jesus didn't even need faith. Jesus just was he just was. He knew his God. He knew his Father, and he just did out of faith. But Jesus did not fear when they threatened him. They did, he did not fear the crowds. He just passed through them when they almost killed him, tried to stone him and throw him off the cliff. He just walked through. He was not with fear. But he was not foolish enough to stand there and say, well, I'm Jesus, try and push me off. He still used a faith and a natural, we can even call it a human fear, but really a spirit of God fear inside of him to knew to get away from that moment. Just get away from that moment. There will be a day where he would let them put him on a cross, but that wasn't the time. And Jesus used wisdom 
It's another word for you that intertwines all these words. He used wisdom to pass through the crowd and to not be part of that mob that day. Church, I'm warning you from the Lord, do not be part of this chaos. A day may come where you cannot avoid it. I just read you some verses, and I didn't mean to scare anybody listening to this. I don't mean to scare anyone, but it's our Bible. We should just know it. It'll bring a peace in trouble. It'll bring a calmness no matter what comes if we know our Bible. So I don't mean to scare anybody. I'm saying it again. But uh, even though we know things will come and there will be a day that maybe you cannot escape the persecution just as Jesus had a day. It was a day that Jesus was put on that cross and that was it for time and it redeemed humanity. But this day where he's on that cliff and they're going to stone him and throw him off was not his day. And the wisdom of the Lord was not to stand there in faith and say, I'm Jesus, back up, don't touch me, but to pass through the crowd and just get away from the chaos. Church, that's what the Lord is saying today. I'm not here to tell you exactly what's happening line upon line. I don't know what this is. In fact, I've been asking the Lord what's going on. And I'm going to get into that, but I feel from the Lord to not get into the chaos. Do not become part of the chaos. Do not become part of the mob. There's a word you're going to hear a lot in the news coming up. It's called mob mentality, and it's about sheep follow sheep, right? Just like you can't get toilet paper right now, it's because everybody told their friends that you see that the toilet paper's out, and then the news says the toilet paper's out. And even I went out and I said, I'm not going to be the only dope that doesn't buy it. Even though I didn't need any, I thought, well, I'm going to need some and then I won't be able to get it. So even though it may have been hype and fear, I thought, well, I'm still going to have it anyway. And the point is that it's, it was a mob mentality. It's a mentality that we can't even help. It's because we're in this system, this world that we're in, we're in it and we're going to have to actually retreat out of it in this time. I don't know what this disease is going to do. People are dying. I don't know how many will die, but I do know that people get crazy. People get weird in these times. Every movie you've ever seen, some of it is Hollywood and some of it is extra drama, but there is a real element to when you see they take away something, it's actually happened in every single crisis in the world. We take away your food, take away your water, and crazy things begin to happen. People begin to shut down. They don't know how to even function. I don't know if you'll lose anything, but if things do start to become thin and things are lost, people may go crazy, and I'm encouraging you just get out of that crowd. You do not want to be part of it. That's not your time to have some false sense of faith. That is not faith to stand in that crowd unless you have had a word from the Lord and the Lord says, stand in that crowd. I'm encouraging you today just to get home. I want you as the church, I'm speaking to this church, if you want to use your own opinion and you want to do other than what I'm saying, that is your choice. But as pastor of this church, I'm encouraging you from the Lord to go home. Be in your home in this time. Seek the Lord in this time. Just seek the Lord's heart. Seek the Lord's will. It's very much, it's very possible that in the next couple weeks, next couple months, I don't know the time frame, things will go on as they always were. 
and we will continue to preach the gospel and enjoy each other and enjoy our families and enjoy our hobbies while we love the Lord and look forward to his coming. But I don't want to tell you that that is a definite. It could go the other way. And church, we should not be surprised or worried or fearful. We should take every day as it comes. The book of James actually warns us of this, not to plan even what to do next year, but to trust the Lord every single day. And I want to also bring you to another story. We also have a story in the Bible, in the book of Matthew. This is when uh, they're going to kill Jesus if they can. They want to kill Jesus. And it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, the wise men were instructed, when you find him, I want you to come back and tell me. The wise men get word that this is an evil plan, and, and so they go another direction and away from him. And it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, that after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, flee to Egypt. Did you hear me, church? There's an actual scripture in the Bible where God tells Joseph to take Jesus and flee, to run, to go, to hide. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return. This is my message for you, church. It is not faith to go out into the crowds and to go out and touch all the food on the shelves and to go to movies and to go to concerts and say, well, I know God, he'll protect me. I don't have to worry about this virus. That is not God. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the devil. We don't even know what this is. It is maybe nothing. I don't know. But we do know that people are dying of something. If you go into those public places in these next weeks just flippantly, you are not in faith. You may not be in fear, but you're also not in the fear of the Lord. You be in foolishness. So I'm encouraging you, church, until we know from the Lord. And if the Lord has shown you and the Lord has told you and you are confident enough to go out and just be amongst the people during this time when even our governments are telling us to stay in. And, and besides the fact, as your pastor, I want you to be respectful of what they tell us. I want you in this time as your pastor to this church to respect them if they're telling you that it's in public places that this spreads quickly, then let's reduce that as much as possible, and I'm even encouraging you to have almost no contact, if possible, until we know. Because we read in our word, I think God's powerful enough that he could have had Jesus stay right there. Why did Jesus, tell, uh, why did Jesus have to flee? Why did God tell them to flee? It doesn't tell us except that God said to do it. And sometimes we stand against the enemy, and sometimes we hide. It is all through the Bible. David did the very same thing. David stood against Goliath, and yet he had to flee from Saul. Did you hear that? David stood against Goliath, and yet he had to flee 
from Saul. And God protected him. Amen. Didn't God protect Saul through protect David from Saul through that entire time? Right, church? So even though God was with David, God was with him. Everybody, I want you just to get that picture that God was with David. Yet there was a time where David had to be on the run. David had to hide. I want you just to say it out in your living room. David had to hide. David had to hide. I want you to get that. Sometimes people of God have to hide. Sometimes the strategy from God is to hide away. I don't know what's happening in this world. I don't know what's going on even right here in New York State in the Hudson Valley. I don't know. But we must hide away until we do know. Do not be foolish in this time. It is foolishness to do something that you don't know if it's right or wrong. The Lord gave me a vision. I didn't even look for it. I didn't even ask him for it. It kind of just came out of me. But the Lord showed me a shark in an ocean. And he showed me a person out in those waters right next to the shark. And the shark came in for an attack. And the person began to fight off that shark and begin to defend themselves and protect themselves and begin to trust in God because that's all they could do. They had no choice. They were in it. They were in it, and they had no choice but to trust God and have faith. Then he showed me that very same person standing on the shore, looking out on the ocean and seeing a fin. And the Lord showed me how foolish it would be to go to get in those waters when we could clearly see the fin out there. We don't know what it would bring. It's very possible that that shark would never touch you. It's possible that you would never see it. You'd have no encounter with it. But he showed me how foolish it would be to go get in those waters looking at a fin instead of just staying where he was safe. And it's not faith to go get in those waters and say, God will protect me. I don't know that God will protect you. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean you won't go to heaven. But I don't know that you won't be protected from a physical death. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear. The Bible says what will be done to our physical body. It says to fear God who judges the soul. So we cannot die, but that doesn't mean your human body won't die. If you jump off a cliff today, I promise you, Christian, you will die. You may go to heaven. Because you know Jesus. But if you do something foolish, your human body will die. So I'm cautioning you Christians until we know what's going on. We must trust God. We must have faith in God. We must not be in fear, but we must not also be foolish. We must just rest in God. Let's rest with each other. Let's have this time to love him and to love our families. And we're not going to worry and if it were to happen to you, if you were to contract it, someone out there listening, then that's it. Now you're in the ocean and the shark is there, but you're going to have to just grab onto faith and trust God. It doesn't matter what happens to you because at this point, you're just going to trust God. You've got no choice. We're not going to go into that place willingly. If we're driven into that place or if that's where we find ourselves, then so be it. You have to trust God Then I'm encouraging you. 
You're going to have to grab a hold of faith, and you're going to have to swing as hard as you can. They say you hit the shark right on the nose. You're going to have to hit this thing on the nose as hard as you can, and you trust God. But Christians, do not, do not turn on the news and make a decision for yourself, in yourself, based upon one opinion versus another opinion. Don't do that. You're going to have to get the heart of the Lord. And I haven't gotten it yet except to just to stay away from this. I haven't gotten what this is from the Lord except to stay away. Just stay out of this. This is not your fight. This is not for you to be a part of. Just stay away from this thing. That's what the Lord's showing me. It says that when they went, it says that night... Actually, let me back up. In verse 13, I was reading in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, about how God told Joseph, get up and flee. Take the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Something's on a search to kill right now. I have no idea its death toll number. I don't know the, the factor. I don't know how quickly it's replicating. We don't know. We're hearing so many opinions. But something is out there that wants to kill your human body. And the Bible says that God gave Joseph a strategy, which is get away from it. Just go. And it says that night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. And Herod, verse 16, was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him and he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Did you hear me? It says that he went and killed all the two-year-olds and under. If Joseph had not listened to the Lord and taken Jesus away, as hard as it is for us to understand because he's Jesus, he's the Son of God, he's sent for a purpose, and yet God still told Joseph to listen to him, to remove Jesus, because that was not his time to die. There was a time for Jesus to be killed, and that was not it. There will be a time. We will all face our last breath. And I pray that we all do it for the Lord, praising the Lord, loving the Lord, being a light for the kingdom of God. And this is not your moment. This is not it. The Lord will protect you, but you have to stay out of this. In fact, I want to continue here. The Lord also spoke to me all week, and Jeannie spoke about this on Tuesday at the Bible study. It says in Exodus chapter 12, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, it says, Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, Go pick out a lamb or young goat for each of your families, and slaughter the Passover animal. Drain the blood into a basin. Take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it into the blood and brush the hyssop across the top and sides of the door frames of your houses. 
And this blood, even though this is an Old Testament story, this is Exodus, this blood would one day be the blood of Jesus. This blood here in Exodus is a picture of the blood of Jesus. He was the lamb, and he was shed for us. And the blood of Jesus covers us. The blood of Jesus protects us from the evil one. That even all of the disciples, and even as they spread the gospel to that surrounding region 2,000 years ago, and many of them were martyred for the Lord. The blood of Jesus covered them. The body died, but their spirit went on to live forever and ever with Christ. The blood of Jesus protected them. It protected them. The blood of Jesus is all you need. If you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you again, if you know him, then it's time to know him in a greater way. If you don't know him, it's time to get under his blood. It's time to repent of your sins and ask for forgiveness of your sins. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners, and Christ can wash you in his blood and protect you from the death that the enemy wants to take your life to kill you, to steal, kill, and destroy, it says. And we just pray for you right now as the church. If you're listening, I pray for you, and the church is praying for you. We've got people praying for you right now that you'll turn your life over to Jesus this moment. He tells him here in verse 22 of Exodus chapter 12 to take the blood, and I want you to paint it. I want you to brush it on your doorframe. And no one may go out through the door until morning. The Lord gave his people in Egypt a strategy. He said, I want you to take the blood of Jesus. Come on, we're looking at this Old Testament and New Testament as his church. I want you to take the blood of Jesus and I want you to paint it on your doorframe. Now, I've looked at this verse many times as a Christian, and and we do this actually as Christians. As mature believers, we understand the truth to this powerful image, and we do it spiritually. We've all done it spiritually. You know, we, we paint the blood of Jesus over our doorposts spiritually, of our hearts, the door to our hearts. We take the blood of Jesus, and we, and we know that, okay, I'm just going to stay in that place with Christ, and I'm going to live through this. But I believe the Lord's giving us a supernatural strategy, even beyond. I said to the Lord, only as of today, after hearing him say this verse to me all week, Lord, are you telling me physically, my physical door? Now, I don't need to go kill a lamb, although I could do that. I'm a hunter. I could do that, but I don't think we have any seasons open or any lambs around anyway. But he doesn't mean to take a physical blood, but... The strategy of go in your home and don't come out until morning. I want you to go inside. I want you to close your door. And I want you to wait until this thing passes over. Everybody say in your home where you're sitting, I want you to say it out loud so that your your mind needs to hear it. Pass over. Because he said to them, for the Lord, verse 23, will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on top and sides of the doorframe, now that is within your heart, but you have done it. And you know what? 
I want you to go to your door, and I just want you to pray in the Spirit right now. I want you to pray. you got to pause this. You can pause it, and you come back. And you came back. Okay, amen. If you haven't done it, go out and do it. Go out and do it. I want you just to put your hand on your door frame. Come on, it's just a picture. It'll build your faith. It'll take away your fear. And it will cancel out the world thinking you're foolish. We're actually using wisdom. They think you're a fool. And the Lord says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. We have a wisdom that's from above. We have strategies and counsel that is beyond, that's greater, that's bigger then man can understand. And you just put your hand on your doorpost and you just thank the Lord that this house is the Lord's. And you just say like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the Lord's house. And this house is protected by the blood of Jesus. And then I want you to go back inside, or if you're inside right now and you're listening to this again, I want you to sit with your family and I just want you to thank the Lord for his his faithfulness. If you're listening to this, I want you just now to thank the Lord for His grace and His mercy. Thank the Lord for all that He's done for you. I want you to sit for some time even after you listen to this, and I want you to remember all the times that God has been faithful to you, how He's delivered you from the hand of the enemy over and over and over again, and why would He fail you today? You're trusting in Him, but you're also listening to Him. It says, when he sees the blood, he will pass over. It says, death will pass over your house. It says in verse 28 that the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded through Moses and Aaron. Sometime after this, in the book of Numbers, God leads the people through the wilderness and there was quite a process there. That's a different sermon. You can listen to that another day. You can read through the book of Numbers and see that story. It's a long story of them rebelling and rebelling and rebelling against God. But finally, by listening to the Lord, he got them to the promised land where he wanted for them. But it says that in the book of Numbers chapter 9, that God would come down in a cloud and he would cover the sacred tent of meeting. He would cover the tabernacle. And the people were instructed as he did that to stay. And then when it would lift, they would go. And then he would come and they would stay. And then it would lift and they would go. And they learned to move with God. It says in verse 20 of Numbers chapter 9 that sometimes the cloud would stay over the tabernacle for only a few days. So the people would stay for only a few days as the Lord commanded. Then the Lord commanded and they would break camp and move on. Sometimes the cloud, verse 21 says, it would just stay overnight and lift the next morning. And it was quite an ordeal to set up. If you really go through and you read, you can read there in Numbers and read there in Leviticus. You can read what they had to build and what they had to do. It was quite a process. And it never, ever tells us why God does this except just to trust him. But he never, ever tells them why it was one day, why sometimes it was three days, and why sometimes it may have been weeks on end. It says in verse 22, it might have been two days, a month, or a year. It says, but as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and moved on. In verse 23, so they camped or traveled at the Lord's command, and they did whatever the Lord told them through Moses. We don't know why God did that, except we do know 
through implication uh, in that story and in the rest of the Bible, right up to the New Testament, because we refer back to this time in Israel many times through the Bible, that God, uh, through implication, really was teaching them to trust him. They don't need to know why, but just trust him. Trust God. And so, church, I'm encouraging you again today to have faith in God. Do not have faith in your faith, because it might not be faith. could be foolishness. Have faith in God, and then you won't be foolish. Have faith in God, and you won't have fear. The book of Psalm 91, it says, Those who live, verse 1, in the shelter of the Most High, they will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. I'm reading out of the NLT. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand may fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord, verse 9, your refuge. Hear that, church, though? Here's the key. Do not read Psalm 91, verse 1 through 8, and go on your life flippantly. If you're going to read these verses and believe that no deadly disease will touch you, then you have to also get this, that if you make the Lord your refuge, you have to decide in your heart that God is your refuge and that means that word refuge means your home so whether it's in your physical home or whether your home is within your heart you have to find that place where God has called you to be and I believe right now it might be your physical home as well or just a place away from the crowds for a season if you make the most high your shelter Interesting, isn't it? No evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. Isn't that incredible? What an amazing way to read Psalm 91 in the time we're living in today. No plague will come near your home. But we must make the Lord our refuge in our heart first. Once he's our refuge in our heart, then we take refuge and take shelter and know, okay, Lord, you've got me. And I'm trusting in you now. I'm just going to lean upon you. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The NLT says it's the foundation of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. So we don't fear anything else. We fear God. And when we fear God, God gives us wisdom. He gives us knowledge. It says knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. With all of this said, I just want to give you one last thing, church. If you've been listening, hopefully God has spoken to you. But I just want to say a few more things here. To One last point, but there's a few things in this last point. It's this word that you might hear in the coming time. 
and you're going to certainly hear it from me. There's a phrase, it's called normalcy bias. Normalcy bias. It's a normality or normality bias is another name for it. It's a tendency, tendency for people to believe that things will always function the way they normally have functioned and therefore to underestimate both the likelihood of a disaster and its possible effects. In other words, normalcy bias is denial. Some other names for it are analysis paralysis, or you may have heard the ostrich effect, or first responders call it the negative panic. Another name for it is cognitive dissonance, and it's a refusal to accept reality or the truth of a situation, even though it's staring at them in the face. I know that this is a reality going on in the world right now. We don't know what to believe. We don't know what to think because we're constantly told so many things from so many sides all the time that we don't believe anybody anymore about anything. We don't trust the government. We don't trust our pastors. We don't trust our parents. It's just our human nature. It's really rebellion against God. But we must not be like the world right now. We must not let this bias within us think that just because we have seen everything the way it was, this is what we do, this is how we live, this is how it works in this country, even, come on church, as it gets into the church, this is how we do church. We go to church on Sunday mornings, we praise and we worship, we sing a few songs, we do a couple quiet ones, we do a couple loud ones. We do a couple where we have our hands raised and a couple where our hearts are touched and a couple where we cheer for joy and we thank God for what he's done for us. And then we hear a sermon and we give tithes and offerings. We do some fellowship and we continue on with our week. And that becomes our routine. That routine is broken today as you're listening. If you're listening to this, your routine was broken. And I want you to get this, that you must not be driven by a false sense of what reality is, a false sense of what normality is. Your normal is different than the world's normal. Your normal is, well, Lord, I'm trusting you. What is today going to bring? I have no idea what today is going to bring. And I think this is a really good moment. It's not a pleasant moment, and it's not a happy moment, but it's a good moment for us as Christians to reassess what we consider normal. What we consider is natural. What we consider life really is. Because this is a moment where things are getting shaken and people don't know how to think suddenly. But if we were more heaven-bound, if our minds were more heavenly-minded, if we were more eternally-minded, we would not be shaken as easily when things like this happen. And just a few events, I want to tell you, if you don't believe me, normalcy bias has happened many, many times in societies. We know from history the volcano, Vesuvius, erupted, and the residents of Pompeii, they watched it for hours before evacuating. We also know that on the Titanic, they uh, made insufficient preparations to evacuate because they refused to believe that the Titanic could sink. And they underestimated the odds of a worst-case scenario 
and minimized its potential impact. We also know, and this is heartbreaking, that when they first hit the iceberg, large chunks of ice went flying. This is history. And they hit the forward deck, and carefree passengers were playing football while people were literally drowning on the decks below, and they had no idea. We also know that as Christians, if we do not look at every moment as possibly the last, we could be swept away, just like these stories, in a normalcy bias and miss that Jesus is up to something on the earth right now. In fact, I hope that the world goes on for another 100 years, not because I don't want Christ to come back, but so that more people will be saved. But I pray for you that you'd open your eyes and realize that things can change in a moment. Let this be a wake-up call to us as the church that as we're watching it physically happen, things changing in an instant, we must be aware that that's what life and death is. Just as we're watching things just change. I mean, by the hour, the news is changing. By a, one second, life exists, and one second later, life may not exist. I'm not necessarily saying for you, but maybe your neighbor that you were meant to witness to. I pray that we get the seriousness of what it means to be a Christian and the seriousness that, like the Titanic, that people are dying on decks below. Do not waste your time playing football with the ice up on the decks. We must realize what is happening right now. People are dying, and they are going to hell. I'm not talking about a virus. I'm talking about that is a worldwide, that's the real pandemic. That's the real issue, is that people don't know Jesus, and that we have the answer. We have the antidote. We have the cure, and we should not need a virus to finally wake up and realize, oh boy, life is not what I expected it to be. We must realize that this is actually what's happening in the spirit world. The devil, who is the master virus, is trying to infect this world every second of every day, whether you see him or not. The only guarantee we have is Jesus. He will never leave us and never forsake us. Our earthly body is not guaranteed, but if we know Jesus, we don't have to worry about this earthly body. I'm shocked, actually, at when I talk to Christians and they don't have life insurance. As if it's not trusting God. They'll say that's not. I've heard it. Some Christians will say that's not having faith in God. It's just so foolish. And, and, and this is why it's foolish. Because we don't know what tomorrow brings any of us. We don't know. If you think that you're going to live forever on this earth in a human body, you are in denial. You have a normalcy bias. Our days are numbered, and we don't know that number. Our breaths, they come and they go. In an instant, we're alive. In an instant, we're gone. James says we're a vapor. And I don't want you, church, to think that you're going to live forever because you are not in that human body. The only thing that matters is what we do eternally and what we do for the kingdom. Lastly, I just wanted to read something, and this is to this normalcy bias. If we don't get this, we're going to be shocked 
by things like this virus and, and other things. And I don't want us to be shocked as the church. I want us to stay steady and steadfast like the Lord commands us. It's an incredible story, and it's, it's so heartbreaking. It's one I would never wish on anyone, and yet it is history. It's about Horatio Spafford. I think that's how you say his name. And he wrote the song, It Is Well. He wrote the lyrics, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Spafford's story started in 1871. He had been a very successful attorney, and he was a real estate investor in Chicago, and they had an incredible fire, and he lost his fortune in 1871. In one moment, his entire life was changed. By a fire, his fortune was gone. In that same year, at the same time, his four-year-old son dies of scarlet fever. His business interests were further hit by economic downturn in 1873, and so he planned a trip, thought it would be good to take his family and go to Europe. They were going to go on vacation. He thought it would do some good, so, uh, and, and some things happened last minute. He couldn't be on the ship, so he sent his wife and his four daughters to England. While crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was involved in a collision with another ship, and sunk. 200 people lost their lives, including all of Horatio Spafford's precious daughters. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy, and upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to her husband that began, Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately set sail for England, and at one point during his voyage, the captain of the ship, aware of the tragedy, that had struck the Spafford family, he said, this is the spot that we're passing over where the shipwreck had occurred. We know now, Horatio, it's been penned down in history that at that exact spot, he began to think about his daughters and words of comfort and hope filled his heart and mind and he wrote down those words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roar, roar, roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Amen, church. I just want to bless you and I just pray for you again. Church, grab a hold of the Lord. This man was able in the worst of circumstances he, he was able to, to grab a hold of God and realize that as horrible as that moment was, this life is not it. He knew the only thing, the only thing he could anchor to was God. And he was able to say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul because he knew the Lord. He knew his daughters were with the Lord. He knew his son was with the Lord. And he knew his fortune, though it gave him a temporary pleasure on this earth, was not eternal, and it didn't matter. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you in this time for your grace and your mercy again. And we pray for protection. We pray for your blessing upon your church. And I pray, Jesus, that you'd give us wisdom. You'd give us faith. You'd keep us from fear. You'd keep us from being foolish, Lord. 
And I pray in the name of Jesus that we would know you greater in this time. Amen.